football season is never over. The Ringer NFL Show has got all your football needs covered from free agency to the draft and so much more. Check out The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Kindness, Kevin O'Verreactor, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin What's up? All right, so we got a lot of stuff to get to. We saw last night a couple of things that we will touch on, um, not the least of which was Anthony Davis making his return to the court for the Los Angeles Lakers. He played less than 20 minutes. Um, did not hit many shots last night. It, you know, the rust was certainly there. And it does seem like it could take a minute for him to get back to form. That being said, he made his return last night. And I think the story out of that is kind of that the Lakers were able to hold the fort down while without LeBron James and without Anthony Davis. And LeBron will be coming back at some point, but at least they've gotten Davis back now in the lineup, um, despite the results of last night's game. You know, in the end, they, they're they in the five spot right now. They are three and a half back from Denver, so there's some separation there, but they stayed two and a half games up on Portland, and on Dallas. So there was not the free fall in the standings that there certainly could have been uh, without uh, LeBron and AD. And so it was nice to see him back on the court. And I'd imagine that they'll get back to cooking sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at last night's game and felt it was just a big nothing for the Lakers, except for another example of many as you know, for weeks now of them being able to hold down the fort, as you said, without LeBron James and without AD playing at full strength. Now, I mean, this was clearly like shaken off the roster. Right. It was quite apparent watching the game last night and obviously was on a minutes restriction too. my main takeaway from last night's game is on the Dallas side 
and some good things and one bad thing. The good things is Dwight Powell is having more moments looking like his old self. Um, had a few games the last couple of weeks like that, and that's encouraging for them. I love what J.J. Redick is bringing. He had the off-ball, you know, shooting ability to create his own shot without the ball in his hands. That adds, that's adding a new dimension to the Mavericks. And then the bad part, KP hurt his ankle. And, like, we don't know the severity yet as of recording on Friday morning. Um but it's just another injury to worry about with him. And it's concerning because he had some really good moments last night. Well, and there was even the moment uh, where after KP and then Luca was limping around for a minute and it's like, good grief. Like, obviously they can't lose one of them. Um, and we know that anytime a guy is limping around, even for a minute, it's like, geez, you got a game every friggin' day, it feels like. Oh right? God, These guys right do not have time to recuperate. So the injuries, any kind of even minor thing gets exacerbated because, you, you know, right now you're trying like hell to get in one of the six spots so you don't have to play in a play-in. They're neck and neck with Portland. And so... You don't have the luxury of sitting a guy down when he might need to be sit down. And so guys are going to, at the end of this season, it's really something to monitor because I hope we don't get some kind of rush of injuries, but especially for the teams that are trying to get to where they want to get for the playoffs and the play in. I mean, how many guys are going to play that wouldn't under another circumstance if you had three games in four nights? Because if you don't have three and four, you've got four in six or seven. Yeah, it's or tough. you've got five yeah. and eight. It's tough. Yeah, the schedule's really tough right now. And all these teams have this condensed schedule with a bunch of games packed you know, in a handful of days. It's tough. And with Dallas right now, if you, you know, every team has that tough schedule. But Dallas right now, they're tied with Portland. For the sixth spot, Portland has the tiebreaker at the moment, but you know, same record at 32 and 26. Dallas' schedule the rest of the way is much, 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 much easier than Portland's. And for Dallas right now, they play the Lakers again on Saturday. They're only two and a half back from the Lakers for the five spot. I'm not saying that they will catch them or could catch them with LeBron coming back soon. 80 back now, but that's not out of the question either. You know, with the fact that Dallas has a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. Well, here is one thing that I do want to mention about Dallas, and this came out yesterday. Um, it was on Dallas Basketball FN oh, and the Cuban by comments. Mike Fisher. Uh. Yeah, and it was the headline. I don't feel like this has gotten that much play. Do you? I mean, I, considering, you know, it's kind of a big deal, right? When the, when the owner is coming out and addressing, because it starts with, and I suppose this has been a topic in Dallas, it says, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban uh, yesterday wisely addressed the elephant in the MFFL room, the relationship between Luka Doncic to Kristaps Porzingis, both acknowledging its dust-up nature and downplaying the long-term significance. On the court, they are fine, uh, he said on 105.3 The Fan. That's not to say there aren't dust-ups, because there are. I'd compare it to Jet and Dirk, and of course he's talking about um, Jason Terry and Dirk Nowitzki, um, saying that they weren't best friends at the beginning, but they grew to like each other, blah, 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 blah. 
He goes on, he says, coach is coach, and Rick Carlisle kind of runs the show, so everything gets worked out on the court. But KP and Luca get along fine. It's just they're different people. They like to do different things. Um, and then, of course, Mike Fisher ends the article by saying, Cuban is, of course, spending a great deal of money, and Mavs fans spending a lot of money, time, and passion, hoping that, quote, doing different things off the court can be pushed aside and up and down Mavs strive for the same things on the court. Um, it's fascinating, right? The, I mean, the, just the whole idea. When I when I read it, I was like, I I didn't know this was a thing, right? But there it was saying Mark Cuban went on local radio to address the elephant in the room, which is that these guys aren't exactly thick as thieves. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think too much of the story, honestly. It sounds pretty normal for coworkers sometimes to coexist on the court and then away from the away from the the workplace not really chill chill and hang out all that much not every coworker is like that together you can you can produce together and excel together without being close friends away from the court or away from the office so I don't think it's that much. I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised that Cuban addressed it, but I suppose he was asked about it. Well, and it, well, and it is a co- topic of conversation in Dallas, Chris. So it's been ha- has been for quite some time for Mavericks fans about the relationship and the seemingly lack of chemistry um, in terms of the little stuff that fans see when they watch every game, like high fives, passing the ball to each other, how they interact in the huddle. Like that's the yeah. stuff you see when you're in it as a fan, seeing every game, and that they've always noticed it. You don't have to, but that stuff can bleed onto the court, number one. Oh, yeah. And number two, when it matters. Again, you don't have to be friends, but not ha- it, 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 there's a difference between not being best of friends off the court or even friends that hang out off the court and being able to hold each other accountable and to be able to jump on each other during the course of a game, like you do have to have the type of relationship in order to for a team to reach its apex, your stars need to be able to communicate with each other, sometimes in a tough way and not take it personally and not fracture. And when that matters, it is a incredible bonus when your guys do have a great relationship with each other. There's no way around that. But it's not a necessity, but when the going gets tough, you know, that's when that's when it can show up. When when the finger pointing starts. For sure. You know? I, I mean, you'd prefer it's like we had this conversation for years with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid about well, are they right. best friends? Are they gonna get along? How can it work if they're not super tight off the court? And, you know, I mean, I think every situation is different and we'll see how this plays out. I think right now you can look at both of those guys. You can look at Chris Dapps Porzingis and say, where's your defensive intensity every night? Where's the heart every single night on the defensive end of the floor? You can look at Luca and say, look, yeah, the refs maybe should blow the whistle a little bit more, but let's chill out, you know, and, and not let it affect your play and set a, a real negative tone for the teammates. You can look at both of those guys and say there's things that they need to improve upon as young guys in the league who are still getting better and still figuring out how to be leaders uh, and examples for the rest of the roster. So you know, for both of them, they both need to grow individually and grow together. And I still look at this and I still say it is a minimal, it's minimal in importance compared to KP's health and durability. Like that to me is still the main thing, the number one thing, and the number one concern about Dallas's upside in a playoff situation. To me, like number one, that's the thing. KP's oh, of health. Of course it and is. He got hurt again. 
But it is fascinating that an owner, and I know that Mark Cuban, you know, would run 10 miles to find a microphone, but still, instead of just blowing it off, they're fine. There's nothing there. People are making something of nothing. You know, these guys, you know, they're they're both competitors, blah, blah, blah. He did, you know, he, he did give more context to it than maybe normally is Mm -hmm. given, right? It was almost like this acceptance of, yeah, I know Mavs fans and media are talking about this. They're seeing it in these huddles. They're seeing this lack of interaction or whatever it may be, or maybe negative interaction on the court. And let me just assure you, it doesn't matter on the court, blah, blah, blah. And just the fact that he's even talking about it, right? Instead of just blowing it off is something. And it speaks to what the future holds for that team even beyond this year, right? Because you better believe this. They're going to make every decision that makes Luca happy. As they should. <laughs> As they should. As they should. No, As they should. I mean, As like, they should. And, and by the way, with Luca, it's the type of thing where he has gotten better at everything he needs to get better at. So when I say that about like the personality aspect and being a leader and all that, mm-hmm. right? He's gotten better as a three-point shooter. He's gotten better as a defender. Next up, I'm sure the only natural next step for him is improving as a leader, which can happen with age, with experience, experiencing, you know, loss in playoffs last year against the Clippers, and we'll see what happens this time around. You know, maybe they won't get the play-in. You know, maybe they lose in the play-in. Who knows what happens moving forward? It's all about building and growing and, 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 and building on what doesn't go right for you. And with Luca, I, I think he's done a good job of that each step of his career. I want to see KP bring it more consistently on the defensive end of the floor. And no, it is the, it, it's the blessing and the curse of having your best player be a third-year player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're expecting them to lead grown men. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's a hard, you know, at 21 Chris, years though, old. It's 99.9999999% a blessing, though, to have Luca. Oh, of course. <laughs> Of course, of course it is. I'm just saying that it comes along with when your best player, when your when when your best player is somebody that's 21 years old. I mean, what is the expectation of how a 21 year old is going to be able to comport themselves all the time? Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> and, that's why when I say that about like him complaining about bad calls or missed calls, I don't really care all that much. I think that's part of it, and I think it's more of a symptom of the the competitor that competitor that he is. Rick Carlisle back in January compared Lucas' mindset to like Michael Jordan, to Kobe Bryant, to LeBron James, that type of guy, just with how intense he is, with the deep desire to win, and how he becomes so laser focused in those clutch moments. Luca does have that mindset, and some oh, I get and, and sometimes get the it. bad side of that is complaining. <laughs> that's because you set the standard so high for yourself. You know, that's just part this of it. Is- this is why we're the mismatch because I I can do without that. Yeah, I don't. Hey, I, don't I, I don't sit there. Hey, I don't, I don't put man. that in the. He's such a great competitor column. I, that's a, it's annoying. Uh, no, I, I'm. There's always ways to improve, though. Like that's that that's what we're speaking to. That this great player can still get better in these ways. Like you can still get better as a leader, even if you do have that mindset. There's always ways to build. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. 
Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Also last night in the Eastern Conference, possibly an East uh, playoff preview with the Bucks beating Philly. And again, Philly is without Ben Simmons, so we know that that is a major difference in how they will theoretically look at the playoffs versus how they looked last night. But one thing that I do think was worth noting was you just don't see a lot of games where Joel Embiid comes away from the game where he has got 23 points, he's got five rebounds. It's it's just not a big game for him. And so we're so used to like virtually every night, it feels like it's 32 and 16 and these monster dominating nights. He ends up last night, actually it's 24 points and 26 minutes, not bad, but he's nine of 21 from the field. He's a minus 19 and he gets three rebounds in the game, which to me, that is at least something to note when we think about these teams and maybe they become on a collision course against each other in the playoffs because the job that you are able to do on Embiid is going to be what decides a series against them. I truly believe that. And at least for one night, might just be a blip, might just be a regular season game. At least for one night, they were able to make him inefficient and keep him from dominating them on the glass. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Milwaukee did a nice job on him. And that's something, like you said, to file it away. And, yeah, maybe and, there's and, something to it. And, and, and we'll look back at it if these teams face off again sometime to the, down the line in the playoffs. Like, they did a good job. They did a good yeah. job. And I think Brooke Lopez especially, I mean, he had the far majority of the matchups against Embiid last night and did a good did good work against him, making it tough on him. Um, I would say this, though, Chris. I'm not going to overreact too much to much of what we saw because, as you said, Ben Simmons was out. It's a different team. It was also the second night out of back-to-back for the Sixers. They played on Wednesday night against Phoenix, had that win, and then they traveled the next morning or maybe that same night to get to Milwaukee. No, it's always hard with any of these. Without the context of where these games fall in the schedule for every team, it's hard to know what we make out of yeah, them, well, truly. The game did make me think of this, though. Like This was my main thought watching last night. It, it's the importance of the one seed for Philadelphia. It's critical because with the two seed, you get a tougher first-round opponent, then you likely get the Bucks in the second round, and then you likely get the Nets in the East Finals. Beating both those teams, Brooklyn and Milwaukee in back-to-back series, is going to be... What an immense challenge. Like, if you get through that, that is an incredible accomplishment. Whereas, you know, that's the harder path as the two seed. Whereas the one seed, you get to avoid the Nets and the Bucks until the East Finals. So, well, if, God forbid it, you're in two and you end up with Miami in the first round. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's no picnic. If you have to end up with yeah. Miami and Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and, and the team that went to the East Finals last year or the NBA Finals last year, for that matter, and then you have to play. So if you had to go Heat and then Bucks and then Nets, 
I mean, that is dude. I, and, and, and make it through that unscathed. Yeah, man. And and it's look for Brooklyn. They have a lot of guys out right now. They have a harder schedule than Philadelphia. After this cup, these games against Milwaukee, it gets way, way, way easier for the Sixers. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, if I'm placing a bet today, I'd place a bet on the Sixers to get the one seed. But with that said, there's no guarantees here. There's no guarantees that you get it. You could, you know, hit, hit a tough stretch. So, it, I don't know. Just watching the game made me think about how important it is to get the one seed for Philadelphia. Yeah, and we're still out there on on the Durant thing. Like, it is what it is. I, I saw our buddy Nick Wright, you know, do this monologue the other day, and it was, I think he chronicled it was like the last 400 days he's played in. 24 games wild. Yeah. F- four of which he's left with injury and it was like what is mm. when, like, in, in that con- when you think about it that way and of course that is including that last game that he played in for the Warriors but even if you didn't if you just said this season you've played 20 something games three of which you've left with injury I mean it is a thing it is something to have great concern about because they're they're uh, Whatever their destiny is, is totally dependent on him being healthy. Yeah. Just is. For sure. Chris, where are you at right now with the Sixers as a true finals threat? Oh, I think they're right there at the top of the list. Yes. I mean, we're on the same page. Because here's the thing. I think that they, I think size-wise, they are going to be a massive, massive problem for even the Nets. I do. Because you're going to walk into a Nets series and... You'll have to do it the same way that some of these grind-it-down teams did it against the Warriors in the past, especially when somebody's that offensively explosive, which is just you murder them on the glass and you turn that thing into half-court basketball. And so when they miss, you get the ball. When you miss, you get the ball. And when you're throwing Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris out there, I mean, that is a big Lineup, And they also have big guys that they can bring off the bench. And that could be the thing that is a problem for Brooklyn if there is a problem. That it is DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and Nick Claxton. And like they don't have somebody for Embiid. And they might not have. And, and, and obviously Simmons, an elite-level defender, he can take one of those outrageous scorers, at least one of them, if he could just make one of them inefficient. So, I mean, I I view it, I view all of this through the prism of, can you beat the Nets? And I think that they are, it's possible that they're the antidote for that Nets team. That, you know, along the way, whether it was Memphis, whether it was Oklahoma City, these teams that were rugged and that had a bunch of big guys, they were the ones that always gave the Warriors a really hard time and they could keep the possessions lower and grind it out against them and really dominate with their size. In that case, it was Durant, Ibaka and, and, and like Perkins or Adams. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Philly's Philly's right there. I would say I, I would only be shocked if it's not the Nets, Philly or Milwaukee. You know, it's kind of funny The Philly has lost three games in a row now. Golden State, Phoenix, and then Milwaukee. And yet I come away from this week thinking like, oh, Matisse Thibel made life hell for Devin Booker on Wednesday night. Thibel had one of the better defensive performances I can remember watching this entire season. Just how tough he made it for Booker every time he ran a pick and roll. 
and Booker was forced to pass or Booker brought the ball up the court one time. Thibel strips him from behind. They get the ball back. Booker eventually has what seems like an open three-point opportunity <laughs> and it gets blocked by Thibel. I mean, he's just so active. It's amazing to watch Matisse Thibel doing what he's doing. Seeing George Hill continue to get integrated into the offense. Like it feels like he's going to close a lot of games for the Sixers. I mean, he's plays an important role as a ball handling presence and getting more opportunities to do that with Simmons out. Um, you know, I really like what George Hill is bringing. So I feel even though they've lost three in a row, I feel better about Philly because of these individual traits that we're seeing from the team. Like Thibel can be a stopper. Hill can be a playmaker for you. They can play different ways depending on the series, depending on the matchup, depending on the night. So I'm higher on the Sixers after the three losses in a row, which is weird to say. <laughs> I, I also want to believe, and I talk about how every year we talk about like those playoff scars and getting your heart ripped out of your chest and the character that builds and the things that come along with that. Uh, virtually everybody has to lose before they win. I mean, even that Miami team, the big three, lost before they won. And I want to believe for the sake of the NBA, I want to believe that that's so. That chemistry does matter. That you can't just throw together a team and then go and take a run to the finals. Now, I say that, I mean, we just saw it basically with the Lakers last year. So, but I don't want that to be commonplace that just every year you could just throw together a team, build this super team, and it doesn't like all those things that like, going to the playoffs and earning your stripes or taking, you know, getting some scars or playing together in a Mets. I mean, because this, this will be by far the most ridiculous because these dudes have not even shared the court, Kevin. They haven't even been out there. Like they're, we're going to get to the playoffs and they, the amount of possessions they have played actually together and with, like, even their guys, like, you know, when you're talking about Claxton and you're talking about Blake Griffin and who, like, the amount of possessions that whatever their most used lineup is going to be come playoff time is, it's going to be ridiculous. Like, truly ridiculous. The, the amount, the, the lack of continuity that should be there, but we know probably won't because they're just so offensively devastating. But I, I want to believe that, you know, these teams that have lost the Bucks, the, the, the Sixers teams that have been together, done it together, gotten their heart tripped out together, that that matters. Yeah. That when you get to the playoffs totally. and when push comes to shove, that that is an advantage for you. Yeah, you know? and, and there's a. It's kind of funny, like stylistically, there's a handful of those teams. Some of them have underwhelmed this year, like Miami, Boston. Um, but still, like you still feel like there's a chance that they can fight. You have Jimmy Butler saying what he said the other day about like we'll just get to the we'll get the playoffs together. I'll take care of it from there. You know, like you still <laughs> have some le level of belief in those teams and Utah and the Western Conference going through it, you know, losing the way they have the Clippers going through it, losing in their first year together last year, year two, a lot of the time is better. So, you know, there's a lot of those teams that have been through it together and you'd like to see them do well. And you think about the last two Western Conference finals reps that we have had that maybe people didn't see coming. It was the Blazers who had gotten beat time and time again. They'd made the playoffs and gotten knocked out prematurely. Um, and then Denver, who had gotten their hearts ripped out, you know, in the seventh game. So, I mean, 
I, yeah, I want to believe that that matters, that you can't just throw together a team that doesn't even play together and it just, it's of no consequence. Um, and hopefully that provides a real advantage for some of these teams, especially in the East, because we really only have the, you know, it because the team that we thought was like the top contender for the Lakers last year was also just a thrown together team in terms of, I know they had like Lou Will and Montrez and those guys, but that was going to happen based upon what Kawhi and Paul George did. And it was their first run through. Guess what? They took some scars last year. And now this year, maybe better off for that. I, I would imagine they will be, certainly when they get into some of the situations that might come. You mentioned Boston as a team. Um, big Kemba night last night. You know, I think he ended up oddly being the leading scorer in the NBA. It was not a huge slate of games, but he had 32 points in the game last night. Um, watching back through some of those highlights, I mean, he was getting to the basket. Um, he was knocking down some threes. And over the course of this month, you know, we'll see if it's small sample or not, but the field goal percentage is way up what it's been throughout this year. You know, he's he's closer to 50% than he is to 40%. And this hasn't been, you know, and I know Boston fans are not exactly, there's not a lot of people running out buying Kemba Walker jerseys all the time. Um, but if you just watch last night, which was a bad, bad Tatum night, like Kemba Walker looked like Charlotte Kemba Walker, like a guy that really can be a huge problem. And it hasn't felt like he's a huge problem when you go into games, but if he could be, you know, and I, you got to do it when Jalen's back too, but it, it's he's trending up at the right time. It, it was a Kemba Walker masterpiece, really. Yeah. Because not <laughs> only did he score a lot, <laughs> he also took three charges in the game. <laughs> and now he is tied with Kyle Lowry for the league lead in charges taken. Is that right? 20. Yes. Tied wow. for the league lead. I would not have gotten that right. You know, charges per game. This is according to the second spectrum. Who do you think's first in charges taken per game? Well, you're, and you're telling me it's obviously not one of those two. It's not one of the. It's not one of those okay. two. Who's number one? Kemba is number two for what it's worth. I'd say it's a big guy. Mm -hmm. And so you're never gonna get this guy. <laughs> I'm not. No, you're never gonna oh, get him. Why is it one of those like? Per minute thing, no, yeah, no, or just charges oh. per game, and it is like a player who'd qualify in the minutes leaderboard. Okay, so he does play enough. I yeah, mean, he, he plays, plays enough. Yep, he a, plays a enough. significant amount uh -huh. of minutes. All right, hold on. A big guy that I think takes a lot of charges. Um, so you think it's a big guy? That's where we're going. I do. A little pop quiz That's what here. I guess the listeners can play along as well. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess. I guess. Look, should you should you narrow that down? Am I right that it's a big guy? Or no? Just take a guess. <laughs> I'll say the shocking revelation will be that it is uh, Rudy Gobert. It is not Rudy Gobert. Ru Rudy Gobert <laughs> takes a point. Zero six nine charges per game. He's taking. Full, he just never takes. He, them. he just yeah. He just blocks shots. He doesn't take charges. The, no, the number number one number one. In my the theory. League. My theory on this would be that that would be shocking. And yeah, he's in front of the basket all, right. well, all the time. Number right? one is Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin takes 
0.576 charges per game, according to that is about that is the old Clipper influence. You can take the <laughs> you can take the flopper out of L.A., but you can't take the L.A. out he, of the flopper. He, he took wow. He took for what it's worth. He's taken eight of them with the Nets, eleven of them with the Pistons. So nineteen total on the season. Um, Blake Griffin, number one in the league and charges <laughs> taken per game. Kemba's number two. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, anyway, like back on track. Sorry. Uh, but I hope you listeners enjoyed playing, uh, this, this little pop quiz game charges taken. Well, that goes on. That goes on Blake Griffin's, uh, hall of fame resume. <laughs> it might go in my blurb on Monday for my power rankings. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk, yeah. let's, ta- let's talk about, uh, what you did this past week, which was, and this is going to be a conjunction with talking about the three hottest teams we got going in this Eastern Conference. The Raptors have been on fire in April. And then who would have imagined, Kev, that we would get to the towards the end of April and we would be, I would have bet big money that we weren't, I was not going to introduce that the teams that are eight and two in their last 10 games, and we already touched on Boston, who's been eight and two, the two hottest teams in the NBA being the New York Knicks and the Washington Wizards. Just impossible odds that you could have gotten on that. And both of those teams have been awesome. They're in different positions. New York, by virtue of their record, has moved themselves all the way up to a home court advantage team. If we started the playoffs today, Washington is scratching and clawing just to be able to get uh, into the play in uh, into the play in round to give themselves the opportunity to be a part of the playoffs this year. And I think it's fair to say that for the season, the Wizards have not been as good as we expected them to be. The Knicks have exceeded every single human's expectation. Yep. Mm-hmm. On the planet. I think they've, I bet if you even asked Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau, they didn't. 100%. No way. 100%. They didn't, they did not expect it to be, to to go this well. Uh, I would say say Tibbs would be less surprised because a coach, you always feel like you have a chance. Management, right. You, you have more of like a, a a unbiased perspective of the team. You know, you know, if you, you might suck, I would be shocked if Leon Rose, you know, with a lie detector was like, Oh yeah, we expected to be slightly (laughs) above 500 and also one of the funnest teams to watch in basketball, you know? Right. (laughs) Well, and look, we've got some freaky stuff going on with them. Kev, let me pull this up. Cause I, uh, okay. Over the last, 10. As I mentioned, the Knicks are eight and two. Julius Randle is playing 40 minutes a game and averaging 28 points, uh, shooting 39% from three point range, shooting almost seven a game, uh, 86% from the free throw line. And he is averaging just a tick under 10 rebounds, uh, per game and seven assists per game. So we're talking, 28, 10, and 7 over the course of the last 10 games. And R.J. Barrett has come along for the ride with him and is 18 and a half uh, points per game, 46% from the field, 50% from three. And you talked about uh, R.J. Barrett in your video this week that you did. And let me say this. This is, in my opinion, one of the best ones you've ever done. I would say top Thank you. three. 
I'd say top three. Poker number I one, think, of course. Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot you even did that. Um, <laughs> I thought Drew Handlin was unbelievable. Yeah. Truly. He was really good, yeah. Like, when you talk to somebody like that, Sometimes, and for those that have not watched it, I would encourage you to go watch it. He is a trainer to, to many different players, including uh, R.J. Barrett. And he talked to him about the shooting mechanics, and he spoke about that, and immediately I started thinking of other left-handed shooters that I have covered over the years. And he talked about the elbow in versus elbow out. And look, the my favorite player, or certainly one of them that I've ever covered, was Zach Randolph. And I immediately thought to how he looked when he shot, and his elbow was always out. His elbow was never like straight in front of his face. And the other thing was the deceleration uh, that he talked about and, uh, and how RJ can get better on drives going out instead of up. And then, you, of course, you had some video clips of it. But the fact that he got into such intense detail yeah. about both of those things and how this particular player improved – made him, well, honestly, uh, uh, so much better an interview subject than I thought he was going to be when you introduced it. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Yeah, he was great, man. I, I really appreciated Drew Hanlon's feedback on that. I mean, he all through the years, like I've gone to Drew for a couple different stories for the Tatum thing last year that I wrote um, yep. and some other stuff over the years. He's always insightful. And I thought, you know, when I watched the video back on Thursday morning with fresh eyes after like, you know, mm-hmm. editing it with um, Bronick Nair, and Dylan Berkey, who produced the video, they do awesome, awesome, awesome work. And um, watching it with fresh eyes, I'm like, geez, like Drew like, really brought like some life lessons yeah, here too. Like, really did. He said something at the end of the video in regards to RJ Barrett's development. We were talking about where he is today. And then I asked about like, what's next for him? He shoots a lot of mid-range pull-ups, but he doesn't shoot really any pull-up three-pointers. And because I knew like in the past, that was part of the training plan for Bradley Beal and for Jason Tatum was extending your range each year. And so he said with RJ, the focus this past summer was about catch and shoot three pointers in the little simple mid range pull up at the elbow. He said this summer will be about extending that pull up to three point range as a simple pull up. And then over the years, you build from that, adding sidesteps and more complicated shots. But he said in there, he's like. Our philosophy with training players is to focus on one thing and to try to drill that down year by year. And that means you'll get really, really good at that one thing and you'll put off other stuff that, you know, might take a while. But the alternative is like spreading yourself too thin, trying to work on too much. And then maybe you don't get a lot of improvement. I just thought, you know, that like no matter what you do, that is a type of, you know, philosophy to follow if it works for you, everybody's different. But for me, like I found in my own life playing guitar, like it's easy for me to focus on one thing. I've played comfortably known by Pink Floyd almost every single day, Chris, for the last couple of months. And I'm better at playing that soul than I have ever been in my life because I play it every day. I'm not really playing a lot of other stuff. I am here and there. Cause you gotta, you know, touch up on what you're doing, but that's my primary focus. And I, and I think with basketball, whatever it is that you do, that's, um, something to follow. It's a game plan to follow. And I think it's important also to have a game plan. Well, and I think it's just nice to me to, you know, hear the story. This kid has obviously worked to get better. He has worked. Here are the things 
And and he also has somebody that's telling him like, hey, here's the difference between. And then it is on that particular individual to take that yes. stuff to heart to say, OK, I I there's a lot of guys that can sit there and say, look, I got this far doing it my way. All right. So they don't want to hear it. But when you find somebody like that, that is willing to listen to somebody that can help them truly improve. And then it's on them to put in the work. And there is no denying because you had in there, I think he shot like 30% from three from Duke at Duke, which is crazy because that is not a hard shot. The college three, there's a lot of guys that can shoot that proficiently and not shoot NBA threes. The NBA three, it's a world of difference. Um, but the fact that he can knock them down the way he can now, and especially as I told you over this last 10 games, he's 50%. Um, and when they throw, when they whip it over to the corner, you feel like it's automatic now for him. That's just, that's a kid that worked, worked to get that way because he wasn't, he wasn't that level of shooter at all. And that's the thing with RJ Barry. That's always been, you know, the conversation about him, that this is a guy who's a worker, you know, and Drew Hanlon said it in the interview, like he's also not just a worker. He seeks feedback and seeks criticism because he wants to find things to get better at. And I think that speaks to the importance of having like good people around you. Like, you know, Drew Hanlon and his role as the skills coach and all that, but also like just Rowan Barrett, you know, the, the fa father of RJ Barrett being, you know, a player being having the role in Canadian basketball that he has had having like that guidance um, can help empower somebody who does have those traits. Well, and he's also, he's also always had Nash in his life. Nash in his life too. Exactly. <laughs> you know yep. I mean? yep. A lot of people, you know I mean? a lot of, well, a lot of good mentors. I think maybe one of the reasons too, uh, the reason I'm bringing up these two guys, Randall and Barrett is because I think they're both cut from the same cloth in terms of that level of work yeah. because, um, and, and that's why if you're searching for reasons, why, in part, has this team overperformed in our uh, expectations in a way that uh, most people did not see coming? It's because you have these two guys that are incredible workers and do play hard on regular occasion and then off the court. There was a Knicks game I was watching. And forgive me because I'm not, you know, it was one of those like sideline reports that they were talking about. And, uh, I want to say it was Minnesota. I think it was Minnesota. And uh, the, the, the reporter is telling a story, and she says that when they went to Minnesota, they had, like, gotten in late, and there was a local high school that was close to there. They weren't going to be able to get in one of the gyms, but there was, like, a local high school that they could call ahead and they could get up shots when they got to uh, when they got into town and so Julius Randall, they were getting into town late. He got there and he went to this high school and, and got a shots. And the reason he did that and the guy that like at that high school gym, she went and talked to him. He said the last person in the NBA to do that was Kobe Bryant. And he said, wow. and then she goes on and tells this story that, the thing that Randall talks about with Kobe and what he passed on to him was the work ethic. And that when you get in town somewhere else, go get your shots up. And it was 
crazy to hear that story being told there. And then it becomes a point where a couple other guys then have started going with Randall when they get into towns at different places, because sometimes you just can't find a gym. But the idea that you go and find a gym that you can go to, and he saw Kobe Bryant do that young in his career. And it was a story from this year that Randall went out of his way and did that. And so when you talk about the Barrett thing and I see that video, and then I I heard that, you know, Randall about story Julius earlier Randall, this yeah. year. Yeah, when you've got these kind of hard workers like that, that just has, you want to know how to overachieve, have guys like that. Yeah. You know? That, that those are the types of people that you want to win with. I they mean, care. T- yeah, like, t- team, care. like a team can win with people who don't, put it all in there, you know, that don't really work hard or work smart. You can win like that, but I I don't think there's anything more rewarding than winning with people, you know, in your locker room, in your corner, in your group that just put it all in there for the, for, for themselves and for the greater good of the team too. And like this whole Knicks team, like we're talking about RJ Barrett and Julius Randall here, but there's so many workers on this roster, like, like just tough guys, Taj Gibson, Noel's like had a slow start to his career, playing so well right now. Alec Burks playing really, really well. Emmanuel quickly, <laughs> like up and down the roster, man. This team is a bunch of hard workers, and it's just D fun to Rose. watch the next. D Rose, D Rose is, hey, he's still good. Yeah, he can still Derrick produce. Rose is still good. Derrick Rose is still producing it, uh, and it's it's wild to watch Derrick turn into what Derrick is now. You know, as once upon a time, he was the phenom, youngest MVP ever, the whole night, top of the world. But like, he is still a totally solid NBA player who, on any given night, may really, really surprise you. Yep. He can turn it back sometimes. He can turn it back. Yeah. The other team that we mentioned was the Washington Wizards. And Russ. I want to I want to mention this name uh, because I had mentioned, I guess, a week ago on I, I had seen this uh, Tom Haverstrow tweet. And it was about it was uh, from a table that was put together because of covid and how many player games had been missed this year uh, because of what had uh, what had taken place this year. And. I, I, that table that I saw, I didn't know who put it together. The guy reached out. The guy happens to be a massive mismatch fan. So I want to give him his love. Uh, Nikhil Marar is the one that put it together, him and his team. And what they did was NBA player days missed to COVID this year. And they have the chart um, so that you can go and look up. And so my initial reaction uh to it. Boston actually has missed the most, and they are followed by Dallas, Toronto, Miami, uh, and then Minnesota, and then the the least by pretty wide margin um, is Indiana this year. But at the beginning of the season, uh, about 10 down, you'll find the Wizards, and you know the Wizards had an issue with that. And I think I do think that it was even harder for them because they're trying to put together a whole team. You know, playing in a way that they have never played before. And the insane thing about them, while the story of the Knicks is uh, they've been good defensively kind of all year. And then you've got these Randall and Barrett crazy stats. The, 
and you do have crazy stats for the Wizards over these last 10 games. You've got Beal averaging, um, you know, still 30 points a game. You've got Russell Westbrook averaging 21 points, 13 assists, and 14 rebounds per night. Uh, Bertans finally decided to start hitting shots. And the interesting one, the Dan Gafford Daniel Gafford. I'm glad you brought been, that name up. <laughs> it's been real, but it's been it's been significant. But beyond all of that, the most insane thing about the Wizards in this streak is uh, Fred Katz, who covers the Wizards on a daily basis, had been tweeting out about this, and and I just kept thinking, this is this is crazy. Um, Washington is now 18th in the NBA in defensive rating on the month, 11th over the past two months. And Fred went and said, if you go to clean the glass, which takes out garbage time, they are 16th on the season. But since February 13th, they are sixth in the NBA in defensive rating. Sixth. This team didn't defend anybody. The Daniel Gafford effect. Six. Daniel Gafford has been legitimately really good. Like we kind of like joke about yes. it because it's Daniel Gafford, and it was no, like he's not, real energy. But he he brings real energy on both ends of the floor. Lob threat on offense, just constantly active on defense. He, yes. I mean, he's one of those. It's like we just talked about with the Knicks, with the energy yep. aspect. Gafford brings that energy and intensity and focus and heart every single possession on the defensive end of the floor. And that's if you're a teammate, if you're on the floor with a guy like that, that's inspiring, man. That inspires you to watch and inspires you to play harder. He also can finish, and it's perfect to have with Russ because he was playing with a bunch of guys. Robert Lopez can't finish nothing. Mo Wagner was starting for him and couldn't fit. These are all like below the rim players. You know, if you just got somebody pop guys sometimes too, like like Wagner. If you got somebody, I mean, you know, Russ is a freight train. He's going to be going to the basket and he's going to get you baskets. Just keep moving with him. But, and, People can roll their eyes. The Thomas Bryant injury really hurt them. It did, taking him out of the mix because they didn't have anybody else to just plug and play um, until they got Gafford, which is a sneaky, great trade deadline acquisition that I don't think any of us particularly expected. But he's been... And sixth and sixth in defensive rating is crazy to and, me. And by the way, the the Russell Westbrook Daniel Gafford pick and roll combination, like statistically, has not been that efficient. So like, there's still room for growth there. According to Second Spectrum, they score the Wizards score point six six points per chance when Russell Westbrook is the ball handler and Gafford is the screener, and that's in the sixteenth percentile. Hold on. He doesn't all, have to be picking uh, pick rolls. I know, I know I'm that. I'm talking about know, Russ flying to Chris, the basket. Chris, I'm, we're on the same page. I, all I'm saying is like, there's still room for growth. Like, it's not just pick yeah. and roll, but like pick and roll can be even way better. It's like, as good as these guys are with Gafford cutting for dump offs, always available around the rim. And exactly what you're talking about, like the pick and roll itself can be even better. Like, there's still room Man, for growth with those guys. Good luck. Good luck running pick and rolls with Russ. You ain't got time to run that shit. He is flying. <laughs> he is gone. He's going straight to the basket. He's not waiting for your screen. He doesn't need it. He's going straight to the basket. Just be there. 
Just be just stand next to the basket and he's going to throw the ball into your hands. Right. Uh, there was that clip that went around that video earlier this year of him flying down the court four different times and dropping it off to like it was Danny Avija one time. It was Robin Lopez and them all like, you know, either getting blocked or blowing layups at the rim. And it was like the sad horde stuff going on. It's just he's going to get you layups. I mean, Steven Adams made a living off of it. Just just stand down there. Just be there. Be available. Um but the Wizards, it'd be a lot more fun if they get into this thing. Because at least even if they're just in the play-in, it makes it entertaining to have Westbrook and Beal in there. And you've got a puncher's chance when you got those two guys. For sure. And, you know, you got the Wizards right now in the 10th spot. They're a half a game up on the Bulls and the Raptors. Raptors winners of winners four in a row right now. Chris, I have to say this. I have a player that's growing on my favorite players list. Um, you're going to be late do, on do, this. Do you know, late? Who is it? Mm-hmm. I saw, he, I saw you he, tweet about you saw it. Tweet? Freddie G. Freddie G, baby. So Freddie Gillespie, the reason I say you're late on this is because I watched him play every game. He played for the Memphis Hustle. <laughs> he played in the bubble. And we yeah. all wanted him to, they we all wanted them to sign him. He was the best guy. He was the, I mean, he was he was the, he was fantastic. You know, they'd signed him before, and he's gonna be playing for the Memphis Hustle in the bubble. And it was like, who is this guy? Um because he played with this serious energy. Oh, yeah. And he was, pu- he was putting up some really big nights for them. And especially when, you know, when the Grizzlies bought out Gorgie Jing, I kind of thought that that roster spot, that that would go to, that maybe they'd bring in Gillespie, um, who was kind of a revelation for that hustle team. But everybody, everybody that paid attention to the bubble and paid attention to the team, uh, everybody fell in love with, Freddie there and knew that at some point one he he was one of the guys that made one of the biggest impressions at that G League bubble and so it's not all that surprising to me that he's having you know a little run here with Toronto because he was anybody that watched him there he was clearly better than his opposition most every night yeah you know yep I mean you got Freddie G who's just a ball of energy on the court so lovable off the court. <laughs> that video the Raptors posted of him today dancing to party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. You got him yesterday. Did you see his media availability when he was asked about defensive yes. schemes and he turns to Raptors PR? He's like, am I allowed to answer this question? <laughs> Can I talk about schemes? It's so great. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, the other thing that you think about when you think about this Freddie Gillespie play for Toronto, bro, Imagine Baylor with him. Oh, yeah. My God. I mean, they didn't get to play out last season, right? Because it all got shut down. But hell, I mean, Baylor might have won the national championship last year. They, they had that, that dude, too. One more quick thought on the Raptors, though. Their entire center rotation has changed. Gillespie, yep. the energy off the bench that he's bringing, the shot blocking, seven foot five, seven foot six wingspan. Kem Birch. In the starting lineup right now, in the rotation every night, Birch has been very important for that team. They feel they feel a little different. They feel different, and I, it's like we've talked about a lot. This is a running theme. I'm not sure how much the, like what happened in December and January and even February really matters all too much when projecting forward. The Raptors right now are a completely different team, and if they get into that play-in, wouldn't shock me if they win two games to get in and grab the eighth seed. Wouldn't shock me one bit. They could be tough. They could be tough. Well, we talked about, hey, look, we talked about being in those moments, big games, mm-hmm. playing together. I mean, 
Van Vliet, Lowry, and Siakam, you know, regardless been, of who, there, who yeah. else is surrounding them, those guys, they've, they've been in those moments together. They've won a title together, for goodness sakes. Toronto's got a really tough schedule down the stretch, though. Their last 13 mm. games are hard. So They've been awesome you know, in April, though. They, they have, they, yeah, they've been yep. good so far, you know? So they're, they're riding a hot streak, and I hope they're competitive. I'll put Bottom line, I think this this Raptors team has shown why within that front office there's belief that they can be really, really good again next season when they're back in Toronto. There's a lot of talent on that roster. Well, and Kev, you never know, and this is we'll parlay this into like kind of some stuff going on this weekend. Um, you have Miami, who, you know, still has just not been moving up these standings, but it might be on the horizon. They get to play a trayless. Uh, Atlanta Hawks team and I saw him yesterday briefly when I was walking through my living room the jump was on and they had him on there and he made it sound certainly a lot better than yeah maybe we originally thought uh that injury might be um but in the meantime they are going to have to play without Trey Young who has been essential to kind of what they've been doing so the Heat have them but then if the Heat kind of get it together and Chicago still hasn't had Levine back, even though they've won a couple games here. Um, There's two games in a row where the heat have the bulls and for a team like Toronto or a team like Washington or whoever else, if the bulls take a couple of those losses, I mean, that could just put them out of it. Yeah. Honestly, like if they, they get the heat could really put the bulls out. um, If they could, if they could drop them twice in a row, it just, you're just getting way too far behind the eight ball with these other teams playing really well. Um, so that's a possibility. We have uh, the second part of two games that we saw last night. So we will get to see a rematch of Milwaukee and Philly on Saturday. We will also get to see a rematch of L.A. and Dallas. And I think these can be instructive just because the same way we look at it as a playoff series, that it's like, okay, Here's what happened in that first game. Inevitably, you're playing the exact same team. You make the adjustments. You come back for a next game playing against each other. So I do, I I like this for that, uh, for that portion of this. Uh, You know, the one thing about this crap schedule is that when these teams play back to back, you do kind of get that playoff feel where you're seeing the same team. Therefore, you are preparing for them for next night. You kind of see, how much the other team can can flip the way the first game was played. Um, and then we have Memphis-Portland, which is a monster. They play two this weekend. That's monstrous for the seeding from really six down to ten yeah. uh, yep. between those two teams when you've got the Warriors right there, the Spurs behind Derek White winning last night, uh, and the Pelicans are – they won last night, but they're in danger of, you know, they're, they're a little bit farther behind. New Orleans has to win these games. Three back from they Golden do. State right now. Three and a half back from San Antonio. Four back from Memphis. Like, it was thir- 13 games left. You're probably not catching Memphis. Um, may- maybe San Antonio. You got to hope for catching the Warriors and Stephen Curry. Going to be tough, yeah, man. Right? And so we have those. And so we do have some pretty big games uh, that are going on this weekend. And... It just speaks to what you and I have both been big supporters of this whole play-in thing. I, 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 I don't know how anybody could not feel that this is not infinitely more entertaining. And like these games, like Toronto's games and these 
play Blazers Grizzlies games and that Mavs game and like all these games actually do have some meaning a lot now of meaning. Yeah. where yeah if the Wizards aren't involved in the 10 at all like who gives a shit but they are and so it's like okay if they keep on winning that you know these other teams better watch their back and I think it I think it's having the desired outcome. This is playing out very, very, very Big well. Time. It really is for the teams that are involved, the stars that are involved, for the fans in, involved too. Yeah, Kyle in jeopardy. Uh, they're in jeopardy of missing, like not being involved in it at all. And you, I mean, you're, and you're talking Steph Curry, you're talking Zion, you're talking Russell Westbrook, you're talking. Like real stars in this league. Well, Kyle Lowry said it the other day. He said, I think it's fun. It's more engaging for the fans. It's kind of an NCAA tournament like. It's kind of NCAA tournament like for a couple of days. I think it's just something that gives fans something to look forward to. That's yes. that pretty much sums up the way I feel about it. It's gonna be yeah. fun. It's gonna be a really fun week for the playing tournament. Cause I'm already looking forward to this weekend and like how these games play out, but imagine when we get to the last week of this. Oh yeah, it's gonna be nuts. That really is going to feel yeah. like elimination time, you know? Big time. Um, one thing that we do want to end on uh, today, because I, I want to mention this, and I want to send out my thoughts and prayers to all, um, you know, uh, the the big blue nation, as they call them, in Kentucky, and uh, and John Calperi and that staff, who I know a few of them from their time in Memphis, and also... Uh, Terrence Clark's family yeah. and everybody that has been with him. Uh, prospective uh, draft prospect, um, Terrence Clark, 19 years old, played last year in Kentucky and was getting ready for the NBA draft and tragically passed away in a car accident yesterday in Los Angeles. And to see that come across my timeline, I mean, my heart just dropped, it, really. It, it, it is broke my heart. The guy got awful. a text yesterday. Um from somebody who said, I'm hearing some bad stuff about Terrence Clark, and I searched Terrence Clark's name on Twitter. There's nothing mm. there. And then 10 minutes later, there's a couple of tweets popping up about it, and I don't know. I, I don't know. When the news first came out, it's like this 19-year-old kid I, I just signed with Clutch Sports on Wednesday. You know, you just... It's, it's awful. I mean, what should be like the height, you know, of the good moment in his life, it's just... I don't know. It, it breaks my heart. It really does. That, Thoughts and prayers to everybody yeah. involved with Terrence because that is uh, I saw Tyrese Maxey tweeting about it last night and just how I mean you yeah. know and, and it, it's a shame that stuff like this happens but everybody always then reiterates you know hold your loved ones close because you never know yeah no you you, no. you, you never know um, nobody's exempt from anything and that's the scary part yeah. of life and ultimately I mean Terrence Clark I. Didn't really. I don't know anything about him. Really, he's a Boston kid, you know, yep. born in Dorchester. And uh, everything I understand about him is that he was somebody people loved to be around. You know, a lot. He knew a lot of NBA players, his teammates. Yep. He was just a, a good ter- teammate, good person to be around. So, you know, sending all the best to his family and everybody who loved him and knew him. It's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here, a uh, little reading for everybody to do this weekend on TheRinger.com. What do we got, Kev? We have the oral history of the best game Mike D'Antoni ever saw by Mike Mazio. 
on the ringer.com. That, looking forward to reading that. I haven't checked it out yet. Um, it's about a 2006 game between the Suns and the Nets. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, a 161-157 game. I look forward to checking that out. And also, one other thing to definitely to check out, too, is Mirren Fader's profile that she wrote about Jay Sean Tate, a rookie mm. from the Houston Rockets. I thought it was beautifully written and uh, tells his story and his background and some of the um, adversity he has been through throughout his life that has made him into the hard-nosed, tough player that he is today who just plays to win. Um, I really love that story, too. Super cool. All right, so everybody read those over the weekend. I hey, Look, I knew that that, Dan, that D'Antoni article was not going to be about the uh, his team missing 27 threes in a row oh, or yeah. whatever they missed, yeah. right? That not that game. High score affair. And and Rajah Bell's also in that in that story. Yes, Rajah's in that too. Right? Yeah. Our own Rajah yes, Bell. The Ringers. Real ones. <laughs> yeah. With Rajah yeah. and Logan. Uh we will have a good weekend. Hopefully you have a good weekend. We'll watch a bunch of basketball and then we'll be able to reconvene on Tuesday. This episode came together thanks to the work of associate producer Sasha Ashall. And Kevin, I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Have a good weekend, everybody.